From the game gurus at Snakes and Lattes, you're listening to the Snakes Cast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Stay tuned after the episode for a quick announcement. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast, everyone. I'm Jonathan Moriarty. Joining me this week are my co-host Steve Tassie. Hello. And Scott Moyle. Hi there. We're going to talk about a pretty small genre of games this week. So there's not a lot of games in this category, but they're really, really distinctive. They're called One Against Many. There's a lot of co-op games out there. We did an episode about them a while back. Uh, in a cooperative game, everybody's on the same team, and the game is your opponent. So everybody either wins together or loses together. In a one against many game, it's almost like that. Except it's, well, one against many. One of you is going to be the bad guy or possibly good guy, and everybody else is against them. And either the one person wins or everybody else wins. It's, uh, for some people, it might bring to mind something like Dungeons & Dragons, where you've got a dungeon master who plays the role of the monsters and stuff like that. But it's not actually the same, because the DM in a role-playing game isn't actually against the players. And one against many, they really are out to get everybody else, and everybody else really is out to get them. Well, a good DM isn't <laughs> against the players. I, well, as long as you're not playing Paranoia. I was going to say, <laughs> I've played me some Paranoia. <laughs> that's uh, that's, that's, that's some serious is in- no one's friend when that happens. <laughs> that is some serious inside baseball for role-players out there. Enjoy that, folks. So, uh, there aren't a lot of games that do this. Guys, do you like this category of game? I do. Yeah. How come? Um, I like to uh, pit my wits against a group of people. So you like to be the one. I do like to be the one. Yeah. Uh, I my introduction to this type of game actually was playing Fury of Dracula with Steve, and was he Dracula? You oh, know, yes. he sure was. And so the rest of us and I've. I've soloed all four heroes against him. I've had three people who have never played the game before. All right, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm Doctor so Seward, and this for, is... for reference for our viewers who don't know, their listeners who don't know this one, uh, Fury of Dracula is uh, a, again, it's the one against many game. One player is Dracula running around Europe, turning people into vampires, and the other players, up to four players, are controlling four heroes. You know, Mina Harker and Van Helsing and so on, and they're trying to find him and kill him before he can manage to do this. And they're all on the same team. And it's a very challenging game. I actually have uh, tried to play it. We, we, how long did that take us? But we got through like three turns in two hours. Does it usually take that long for you guys? It's absolutely not. Um, it's uh, we were just when you know the game, it, it moves much faster. Than gotcha. That. Okay. Well, never mind the details then. Uh, that's, that's enough about that. But it was it was a really intense experience, was it, Scott? It it always is. It's really interesting to uh, to work together with people because there's there's obviously an advantage in having four different brains pointed at the same problem. Mm. But there's an advantage in not having to uh, compromise, not have being the one and not having to, to work with anybody or discuss your plans out loud with all the liabilities that that entails. <laughs> you can or... certainly present a unified front when it's just you. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's tense on both sides for different reasons. So you you usually been the, the many. Yes. And you, Steve, usually, do you usually play the one in these kinds of games? Uh, usually, yeah. What's, Depends on the game, but yeah. So t- talk a little bit about the difference between those two and the appeal of those two. Well, I think the main reason that I'm usually the one, especially in Dracula, is you need a Dracula who knows the game mm. in order for the game to work. Right, the many can sort of help each other out. So as long as there's one of them yeah. who kind of knows the deal, they can help the others. But the, the, the one person... They really have to know the game forwards and backwards to present a good challenge. Yeah, they and do. and if the if the one makes rules errors, they're very hard to mm. to to fix when you make those kinds of mistakes. So you you need your your Jack the Ripper in Whitechapel or your Dracula in 
Fury of Dracula or your Mr. X in Scotland Yard do need to know the game, I think, better than the, the group players mm-hmm. do. You also get, I think, in games like that, uh, an interesting narrative, right? All of Us Against You is an interesting story, um, and getting a group of players who are either used to all working together on a cooperative game and plucking one person out and saying, now fight the person who, you know, it's, it's that... <laughs> it's ep- your job to make everybody else lose. Right? One agent has gone rogue. We have to band <laughs> together and but figure out how to work without that guy. Uh, but it's also a group of people who are used to competing. Making them, making them work together can be interesting, can be fun, and a story comes out of that that's tied into the story built into the game, but it's also its own story, just in light of what... Between the, the players. Just between the players, yeah. And there is competition, too, because even though you're on the same team as some of the others, you're all banding together to defeat a common foe, so it can still scratch that competitive itch, even if you're one of the many. Exactly. We've mentioned Fury of Dracula, we've mentioned Letters from Whitechapel, which is another similar sort of thing, and uh, where this all began, I guess, was Scotland Yard. That was the first of these hidden movement kind of games. Scotland Yard is played on a map of London, and one player is Mr. X, this dangerous fugitive who's trying to escape, and uh, everybody's moving around the board, and the five detectives are trying to land on the same space, with the caveat that Mr. X is invisible, and you only have clues as far as how to catch them. So, Fury of Dracula and Letters from Whitechapel take that a little bit farther, uh, but you still have that one hidden person with a bunch of people trying to grab them. Um, yeah, both, both Fury and Whitechapel are Scotland Yard all grown up. <laughs> just in different ways. I found the Scotland Yard is actually a really easy game to teach. It's really simple but, uh, and accessible. And uh, if somebody wants more from their one against many game than that, then they can do it. It was also another weird sort of one. Have you guys ever heard of Nuns on the Run? I adore yeah. Nuns on the Run. It's, it's hilarious. They just turn Scotland Yard on its head. Yeah. So instead of having one fugitive and many hunters, you've got one hunter and many fugitives. Yeah, and one grumpy old abbess, <laughs> Mother Superior or whatever, stomping around the thing while the uh, the novices sort of scurry around trying to find, you know, love letters and cake and booze and stuff they're not supposed to have. <laughs> it's got a really charming sort of uh, cartoony look to it as well. Uh, I understand you guys are both big fans of Betrayal at House on the Hill. Oh, yeah. so many stories. And that actually does something, that thing I was mentioning before, how it's interesting to take a group of people who are used to playing together and make one of them turn traitor, that happens at the halfway point. A betrayal at House on the Hill. Right, yeah. so it's, it starts co-op. out as a co-op game yeah, where you're just trying to get stuff. Finding cool stuff and upgrading our dudes and whatever. Uh, halfway through, approximately, uh, something will happen. The haunt will occur, and it'll be a different specific haunt based on the circumstances that it arose out of. And then there's like 50 or some ludicrous there number. Of... like 50. And in the new exactly. edition, they replaced 10 of them. There's actually new content from the... There's a lot of stuff in there, and sometimes it's, it'll be, uh, you know, the house comes to life and you command it to eat the players, or <laughs> the players are tiny and you sick your cat on them, or yeah. Steve turned invisible once. I'm invisible right now. But uh, it, it's a neat one versus many because you never know who the one is going to wind up being. So it is, it is one of the few one versus many's that doesn't require your one to know the game better than everyone else does. Yeah, because you never know what forgiving. scenario you're going to get, and the game gives you all the information that you need to know once that scenario starts. And we've also got uh, cases of uh, of a hidden one where somebody knows from the beginning, but the other players don't know who it is, and it's random. So they're like shadows over Camelot, where you're the knights of the Round Table trying to accomplish quests and stuff, and one of you is actually a traitor, probably. 
or Battlestar Galactica, where you're the crew of a spaceship trying to escape from something and... Toasters. Yeah, toasters. And, <laughs> and one of you is a Cylon, or maybe more than one. Panic Station, uh, your janitors in space cleaning out a facility, <laughs> and one of you gets, gets a sort of bug infestation that turns you bad right in the first, if not right out of the gate, in the first turn or two of the game. Someone will turn evil. I'm noticing a lot of horror-themed games on this list. Well, being alone or, or working together are both themes in, in the horror genre. I suppose it is, and that, that, that tension of wondering you know, where they are, especially with those hidden movement games we were talking about before, like you know, even, even Scotland Yard is that thriller movie sort of feel to it. You know, where are they? Another genre that comes out a lot in these One Against Many games is Dungeon Crawls. I talked about D&D a little while back, something like Hero Quest. From way back in the day, or uh, Descent, or Doom. Imagine claustrophobia. Yeah, in a way. And ima imagine if D and D were actually a game, where, the, where as we were saying before, you're playing Paranoia now. The, the game master is actually trying to kill you. So a lot of horror themed games. Your are characters kill your characters. Yes. Okay. So Steve <laughs> yes, fed me that, a beverage that, when that. we played Paranoia. <laughs> was actually an attempt to make me die. <laughs> So, okay, maybe the lines can get a little bit blurred sometimes. <laughs> but um, so another thing that's kind of interesting, we see this occasionally, is we'll, we'll have a cooperative game, straight co-op game like Pandemic or Lord of the Rings or something like this, and an expansion set gets published that turns it into a one-against-many game. Have you guys played On the Brink? Yes. yes. Expansion it's set for Pandemic? Delicious. Tell me, tell me this to that. Has, I mean, obviously, a lot of our listeners have, have, have heard of that, that, that Pandemic, at least, maybe had the chance to play it. What's, uh, how does it change the experience with, uh, with On the Brink? Pandemic on the Brink adds a whole bunch of different expansion elements to it. So and you can take them? the ones that you like and, yeah. and totally the ones you don't. And one of the ones that it adds is the bioterrorist. <laughs> one of the players is now the bad guy moving around the world, seeding virus throughout uh, the different continents. And the players who are not the bioterrorist now have another option of something that they can do. They can spend their actions to detain him and slow down the spread of the evil virus. <laughs> but the bad guy can then just spend his or her actions getting out of detention and back on the road full of virus and That sounds phlegm. horrible. I have to try it. It's really stressful. Um, and the, uh, the bioterrorist gets, some, gets a physical thing. It's a pad of paper that's a stripped-down version of the game board. It's this sort of little thing. They're scheming and writing stuff down and cackling, and it, it feels like Just they like have Scotland something Yard. you right. don't. Yeah, like the cards in Fury of Dracula, like all of that. It's uh, It gives them a physical thing that they have that you don't, and it'll make you sad. One of those weird little gamer holy grails, actually, is the Buffy the Vampire Slayer board game, which was surprisingly good for oh, a I TV tie-in. This is completely alien to me. I don't know a thing about it. Uh, uh, do you know anything about Buffy? Oh, yeah, for sure. Big okay. Fan. One player is either going to be the master... Or Angelus, or the mayor, or Adam. <laughs> I want to be the mayor. <laughs> and uh, and the and the other four players are going to be Willow, Oz, Buffy, and Xander. And you're wandering around Sunnydale trying to stop the evil plan from going through. Cool. It's super hard to find these days. Yeah. So we don't even have a copy at Snakes and Lattes. Super, but super hard to find. It would be a thing to get. And uh, and I can't let uh, any discussion of one against many games go without harping on Mutant Chronicles: Siege of the Citadel again. 
Have I ever actually managed to get this to the table with you guys? I haven't, have no. I? No. Todd has a copy that I've painted a few of the miniatures. Before you go on, though, I just want to warn viewers who might be out there going after that Buffy Holy Grail. There are two Buffy board games. Yes. Thank you, Steve. One is uh, an American one, and that's the one we're talking about. The other was released in uh, Britain. Uh, and it's a piece of garbage. Yes. <laughs> uh, it bears absolutely no anything to uh, to the show. It, it's just useless. Make sure if you find a Buffy game, it's the right one. So, uh, Mutant Chronicles is a game that you play in a campaign. You've got five players, and each, uh, and each mission takes maybe half an hour to an hour to play. And uh, you've got a bunch of these Doom Troopers who are like, you know, space marines, and they're shooting space zombies in space monsters, whatever. Running through a dungeon trying to accomplish missions as uh, a team. Space dungeon. Yes. Yeah, space dungeon, basically. <laughs> that's what it is. Uh, with great big guns. And, space uh, guns. And, and one, <laughs> one player is going to be the Dark Legion. But, uh, and that player scores points by wounding the space troopers. Space points? Space player. I think we're pushing this a little bit farther than the metaphor really will withstand. The space but, uh, metaphor. <laughs> hey, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> I broke the snake's cast. <laughs> <laughs> that happened eventually. All right, we're fine, we're fine. Technical difficulties. But uh, the, the point is that each mission, you randomly pick somebody who's going to be the Dark Legion for that time, so you don't know if you're going to be sitting it out and just trying to get as many points as possible by killing everybody else or by trying to accomplish the mission. And not only do you want to actually win when you're on the mission, but you want to win better than everybody else, which means if things are going well, you start stabbing the other players in the back, even though they're on your team, and if things are going badly, you work together with them really closely because you're on the verge of losing if you don't pull together and act like a team. Oh, so good. Why haven't we played it yet? Because the world is a terrible place. Mm, let's fix that. You guys ever actually bring a lot of these one against many games out when you're guruing at snakes? Not really. Very uh, rarely. There's that problem you mentioned before where somebody has to know it really well. Yeah, and that's the main reason that I don't bring out something like Fury uh, or Whitechapel. Whitechapel, they're also a little more complicated than what most of our customers are looking for. Well, so I actually teach Scotland Yard fairly often, but it's, yeah. it's the exception to the rule, though. It is. Uh, in fact, Scotland Yard, I frequently get asked to teach. There will be people who yeah. have sought it out and, and take it to their tables. Me too. Uh, it's not one that I generally will recommend to people, but I teach it a lot because people want it. Last Night on Earth is, uh, is an exception. Mm. With three or five people, there's one zombie player and everyone else runs the humans. Um, and it's actually an... It's kind of the flipping the assumption of the one having a more complicated experience. Yeah, the, the zombie zombies are pretty an easy. Time of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's actually it, it balances out well. They've got an easier game, but they're alone. The humans have more stuff to do and more complicated options, but they get to help each other. So yeah. is it, I see betrayal of house on the hill on the tables fairly often. Is that um, do, do people just grab that on their own, or do you guys tend to recommend it? Every now and then, uh, I'll I'll teach it. I've never recommended it simply because it doesn't fit on all of our tables. People ask for that. That's one that people specifically say, hey, can you teach me this? So was last night on Earth, I find. Yep. That's true. Well, if that uh, sounds like a category of game that's interesting to you, then it is probably something that you really ought to try. Not all of them are games that we can teach at Snakes. Some of them are a bit long and complicated, but quite a few of them we can introduce you to. And they're worth trying. Very much so. They're really, really tense, if you like that sort of thing. And you know that we do. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Moriarty with Steve Tassi and Scott Moyle. Space goodbye. Space farewell. I hate you both. <laughs> if you're of legal drinking age and you've enjoyed Toronto's premier board game cafe, you'll definitely want to come out on February 1st to see the grand opening of Snakes and Loggers. 
Toronto's premier board game bar. With an all-new menu, a wide selection of local craft beer on tap, and the great games you expect from us. We'll see you there at 488 College Street West. Until then, this is P.T. Douglas. Game on.